This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to episode 132 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest comes to us from our friends over at C.S. Lewis Publicists and Company, and her name is Peggy Smedley. Peggy is an award-winning journalist and technology expert. During her 25-year career, she has extensively covered IoT, the Internet of Things, manufacturing, construction technology, and most recently, sustainability circularity, and resiliency. She is founder and president of Specialty Publishing Media, editorial director of Construct Tech and Connect World, radio host of The Peggy Smedley Show, and author of her new book, which we'll be talking quite a bit about today, Sustainable in a Circular World. Now, this has been a really great conversation that Peggy and I had here about sustainability, about the interconnectivity of everything going on in our world today. And uh, Peggy has some great ideas that she shares with us through this podcast. And I'm just going to go ahead because I love this conversation so much. I'm just going to go ahead and get out of the way, let the stinger play and let you get into this outstanding interview with Peggy Smedley. Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of the Burden and Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and as you heard in the pre-roll bio, our guest today is Peggy Smedley. Peggy, thanks for being with us today. Earl, thank you for inviting me. I'm really excited to uh, chat with you today. Oh, yeah. No, I can't wait to have this conversation because, you know, as we were talking kind of in the, the pre-work up there, I think this is a... Uh, a very timely and very necessary conversation for us to have, especially in the context of leadership, because uh, talking about sustainability and, and moving forward, that's very much a leadership responsibility, right? I think it really is. And I think as, as people who have been reading the book and have asked me questions as I give discussions about it, I think there's a lot of folks who do not understand what it means when we talk about climate change or sustainability or green. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so every time I talk about it, I get more and more excited about it because it gives me the opportunity to open up hearts and minds, as I like to say. And that's in this world today. That's what we need to do. We all come from different perspectives. But as long as our hearts and minds are open to learning and listening, it, it, it can't expect anything different. I could not agree more. Well, before we get onto that conversation, let me start you off with where I start all my guests. And I'm very excited to hear your answer to this one. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? 
You know, that's a great question. And I know you ask your guests that question a lot because I gave a lot of thought to this before we started our, our interview. And I, I think to me, the burden of command is really about leading the right mindset. And, and for me, I think about it, it's to, to be able to take, and, and, I, and any of my listeners who listen to my show know that I talk about tennis a lot. So for me, it's about taking that right winning shot with confidence on the tennis court. Or have we all been thinking about lately the Olympics, you know, to fly through the air 15 feet high and stick that landing and know what you feel like when it's happening or to lead a team. Think about it like this through a daunting deadline and, and, and even more, not by demanding it, but by storytelling. And I think it's really important to understand that because when you lead a team, you don't just tell them what to do. There's a story behind why you're guiding them. And so to, and, and, and the reason I say this is for those who have ever followed Stephen Covey, you know, they would understand what I'm saying because he was a great storyteller in saying to begin with the end in mind. And he would say it so well in his book, that the seven habits of highly successful people. So they have that vision to tell a story to completion and guide with conviction, right? And you think about that. He didn't demand everything. He would tell this great story. And when he was done telling the story, you understood it, you followed it. And so success will happen. And with the team you're leading and, and that's all driven through, as you like to say, the burden of command. Mm. No, I love that answer. And I, I love the story piece because, you know, that's something I like to do when I'm doing training is, is, is in part as many stories as I possibly can. I love history, love telling uh, anecdotes from history, but I, I'm glad you mentioned the Olympics. Like we're recording right now at the end of July. The show will be live at the end of August. Uh, but there's a there's a story unfolding right now in front of everybody's eyes. I think is a great uh, it's just a great leadership story. And, and uh, of course, most people probably figure I'm talking about Simone Biles and what she's going through right now. And what I love about the the way she's telling her story uh, to her team is, is the story she's telling them is mental health is important. You don't have to be physically injured. It doesn't have to be a torn ligament. I'm having mental health issues right now. I'm setting an example that it's okay I'm telling you the story that it is okay. I'm the greatest of all time, as most people have uh, dubbed me. And it's okay to put your mental health first. And I think that's just a beautiful story to be telling right now. And on the flip side of this, half the world might agree with you. The other half might not agree with you on that statement. But the point is, we're talking about it. Yep. And that's where we need to do it. And I love that you bring that up because that's why I put that in that, that 15 feet. Nobody understands, but those people that do that, that have to fly in the air. And that moment is she's flying, what she feels, whether she lands it and sticks that, you know, the landing, or she misses it and smacks her head, you know, somewhere and is paralyzed for life. Nobody knows mentally how you feel. And that's the point. So you can say she quit, you know, whatever, by not competing or nobody knows what it was to feel like to do that and to say, should I have done it because I was off? Should I have made the decision because I know I wasn't going to be right and I could have done something horrible to my body or I made the decision and people are going to criticize me 
because I know I wasn't right to, to be up 15 feet in the air when I'm spinning and, and doing phenomenal tricks that most of us could never imagine. So those are the things that it's easy to criticize. It's a whole lot harder to make the decision and take the criticism. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love that. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, d- decisions that are tougher to make than they necessarily should be, uh, you've written a great book, Sustainable in a Circular World, and uh, you talk about a lot of topics that are kind of hot topics right now, somewhat controversial topics, climate change, some of the drivers behind that. Uh, you talk a little bit about uh, screen time and what that has done to, to some of our generations. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and kind of dive into that right now, if you will. Does that sound like a good plan? Love to. Absolutely would love to. All right. Well, so as I mentioned, uh, now I'm not going to go through this, you know, for the listeners. They they know that I like to leave some stuff here because I want them to go out and, and get a copy of your book. Um so we'll, we'll kind of dart around here a little bit, but definitely bring up anything that, that you want to bring up. But what I like, again, being a history guy, is is chapter two is history, a historical look at the technological revolution, including the Amazon effect, prime showrooming, and ship it my way, among others, gives us new innovations in sustainability. And uh, I I like this because I think this is something we really do need to pay attention to is this history of technology, because every time it becomes easier, we do generate other problems on the back end, right? Oh, absolutely. Think about it. Think about the competitive pressures. I write in the book about all these competitive pressures. We all think about, think about how many boxes, when you get a box today, from Amazon and you think about all the packaging that goes into that, you think about the barcoding and everything, it's easy when they ship it off of that showroom, but how much packaging was there? How much was involved in packaging that up? How much waste did we create? And that's the part that I'm focusing on because we think Amazon has changed the dynamics of all the selection process, but in the end, It might be shipping faster, quicker, easier. And we all get excited by that. We're like, wow, instead of five days, six days, 24 hours, two hours, they're shipping it and everything's packaged up. But imagine the waste when you don't want something anymore. Amazon says to what? What do they say to you, Earl? When they tell you, when you call them and you say it's broken, what do they typically tell you to do? Oh, yeah, just throw it away. Throw it away. Where does it go when they tell you to throw it away? It ends up in what? A landfill. Yep. And and unfortunately, what happens? Those landfills get bigger and bigger and more and more trash is there. Well, it's not dissolving. It's just turning more and more junk. And that's not helping. It's not helping our environment. It's not helping just the junk that's there. And it's polluting our environment. It's polluting Mother Nature. And that's what we have to think about. Yeah. Well, and and those are very much leadership issues as we talked in the, in the pre-show spin up because you know part of leadership in in any leadership pro, uh, development program we talk about sustainability we talk about uh succession planning and and all these things and it's it's kind of the same thing with what you're talking about here is how do we plan for that sustainability what is that succession planning for you know the this the environment yes but these pieces of, of debris that you're talking about here and, and what can we do with them, right? 
And it, we can do a lot with it. And, and I talk a lot about in the book is about technology, digital transformation. And we have young, brilliant innovators, and we can get into more details on that when we, we, we thumb through this conversation a little bit. But we have the great ability to do smarter, better, faster things with all of this. And, I, and I'm not picking on Amazon or anybody in the supply chain because the supply chain has gotten better, faster, and we're doing things more. But what we have to really think about, we've become a society that wants things quicker, faster. We want it in any color, any shape, any size. The more we want, the greater the problem is that we create. But at the same time, the more we want, the greater the technology, the greater the innovation. And that's what we have to think about. We have to think about how do we advance things in a way that make it safer, better for our environment, not just for all of us today, but future generations. And I think we've become a society that wants things fast, but we have to think about at what cost for future generations. Yeah, no, and I'm glad you're, you're using Amazon because I think that's one that a lot of people are familiar with. I know I am. And, and one of the features, and I think it's a relatively new feature, at least that, that I noticed maybe in the last few orders, uh, but they've got a program now where, and I think it's aimed at, at trying to solve this problem a little bit, uh, but they've got a program now where if you order things that are coming from different fulfillment centers, uh, you can opt in to let that delay by a day or two so they can essentially get it from one fulfillment center to another and put it all in one box. And they're giving you credit, like, you know, it's maybe a dollar or $2, but it's essentially paying you to allow them to use less waste. And I think that's a pretty interesting uh, solution that they're trying to, uh, to put in there. Would you think? I think anytime any vendor, anything at all, tries to do a no rush shipping or they do anything that says, look, we want you to help contribute to not making something as wasteful, kudos to them. So anytime we think about instead of trying to do Amazon Prime is, is no longer just saying it's two day or they say, look, we're slowing down it so that we can kind of contribute to thinking about a cleaner environment. That's what we need to think about. We need to think about greener ways of doing it so that we can do our fleets and use less pollution as we're doing it. You know, we're greening our fleets. That's 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 awesome. I mean, anytime we could do that, that's a credit to them and the customer because we don't need everything immediately. We're ordering. We think, oh, I'm getting it and it's coming. But if they can figure out the routes and make it better for all of us. And in the way they're making it greener for us, we're moving that, you know, from that gray to green in a way by doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So let me, uh, let me kind of back up a little bit here. Cause uh, you know, I started off with chapter two just cause I love history. Uh, <laughs> so that was a little self-indulgence there, but uh, you know, in the beginning you, you make some really good points in chapter one. We talk about some of the forces that are, are driving sustainability and some of these, uh, generational differences. So uh, kind of talk about that for a second, if you will. Well, I always like to say most of us don't even understand what's at play right now. You know, it's hard to grasp. I always say this, these confluence of forces that are creating all this disruption. I mean, this is the way I, I talk to a lot of people about it. And we, we need to take this action, I think, to protect the people, the planet from all of, and you said it, 
you said it yourself from these impact of rising seas you talked about rising uh temperatures we've got all this weather i mean look at it right now look at what's happened we've got these huge spikes in weather right now we just saw or just heard about uh a, an earthquake in alaska that just happened uh you know these impacts destroying our environment our human social and economic developments worldwide because of that that's where we need to do something and a part of that is where we all disagree i don't say all of us it's maybe an extreme but i think we come to it from different viewpoints and and i think we've never seen anything like this since the industrial revolution such destruction of the environment and continued environmental changes because of that i think that's where all these greenhouse gas emissions you're seeing it's, it's been an increase in, and if you want numbers, if you want me to throw out some numbers, that'll help you understand. It's been about 57% that the goal is to meet the target by 2030. That's the U.S. is trying to go to get that based on the Paris Agreement. That's the number that everybody's trying to reach uh, and that you hear a lot about, and that's what our objective is. Now, whether we're all going to get there, whether all the countries are going to agree to get there, but that's the U.S.'s target. And that's what the administration is reaching for. And, you know, let's all hope that we can get to that net zero objective by 2030. You know, we have a lot to do to get there. Yeah. Well, no, and, and I agree 100%. And, uh, you know, all of these meteorological impacts, like you mentioned, uh, we, you know, we're seeing bigger, longer track tornadoes. We're seeing more, uh, more activity during hurricane seasons. Maybe not always more hurricanes, but more intense hurricanes hitting places that they normally don't hit. Yeah, all of these things are starting to kind of stack up and it's, it's getting hard to, to really push back against it anymore. But, you know, when I, I run into, I do still run into pushback. I know you're not shocked at all about that. Uh, <laughs> but, you That's know, true. It, it's, you know, my, my response always like, look, think about it for a second. We do all these things and, and, and let's just say it is a hoax. But at the end of the day, we still end up with a, a cleaner environment. We protect the resources that we love uh, and, and cherish. How is that a bad thing, even if all this turned out to be a big hoax like you think it is? I, I, well, I guess this is the way I would simply put this analogy. Do we want another Easter Island? You know, do we want history to repeat itself since we have discovered how we are destroying our ecosystem? I mean, sometimes we forget history repeats itself. And I know this is a big discussion, but we have to think about, you know, what the inhabitants did during this 13th and 16th century. You said you like history. Well, but I think, you know, we, we have to look, you know, Lemoy carved out these human figures you know, oversized heads and often, you know, massive stones. And then look what happened. They didn't realize the destruction. And we have to think about that. I mean, those are things about history that maybe you agree or don't agree. But, you know, these are things we we do have to look at. And I think um, whether you agree or don't agree, I think we have to at least be aware of it. Maybe that's the point. Yeah, a hundred percent. No, I agree with you. Uh, you know, again, uh, the, the whole Easter Island, uh, that, that's a great, uh, you know, that, that's a great example right there because yeah, I mean, uh, what they did to their Island was a very kind of micro scale, uh, example of what we're doing planet wide right now. So I, I like that example very much. Um, 
So looking through here, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about that a little bit. I like this term screener generation. Now, I'll be honest, I've not heard that before. Is that is that a term you came up with or? Uh, you know what? I, I had to, Earl. I had to do this. And, and I'm, I'm really, you know, we have we have uh, descriptions for all generations. Right. But I had to be one to come up with my own. So I'm hoping you'll use it from this point on. But think about it. Let's go through all the generations. If we have a little bit of time and I can go through them with you, we'll, we'll Definitely. tell you why I did this. In my book, I really wanted to, it wasn't a book that just said, let me tell you about climate, because there's a lot of books written about climate, a lot of books talking about sustainability. But I really wanted to take a book that talked about the generations and why today we have generations that can't understand the issue with climate. I didn't want to project my opinion. I wanted to kind of lay out all the facts. And that's what this book is about. It's about to lay the facts out and let you come to it from your own personal opinion and give you all those different kind of viewpoints and then let you kind of decide whether you agree or don't agree with me. But I wanted to lay all the facts out as a journalist. But by doing that, I, I, I laid out all of these generations. So if you think about it, we have the greatest generation, right? That's out there, you know, and there's a few that still are alive. And, and then, then you have the traditionalists and that's that generation that's born between 1925 and 1942. But you have the baby boomers, which I'm just at the tail end of those baby boomers. You have generation in there and they're till 1960, so to speak, you know, 1943 to 1960, give or take, you have generation X. Then you have, of course, millennials. Then you have generation Z. Now generation Z, they go, they say their ages are to 2019, so 20, 2005 to 2019. Some even say they're as young as 2012. So what has happened? This is this generation that are just glued in front of TV screens right now, computer screens, whatever might be. And now the generation below them, I'm sure they'll have a new generation. COVID has happened. But even before then, this is a generation that, it has not been supervised by parents. They've been glued to TV screens, monitors, whatever it might be. And they and, and they're just their iPhones, whatever phone screen that they have. And they're passionate about things today. If you think about this generation, they're passionate about inclusion. They're passionate about diversity. They are extremely passionate. And it's interesting when you think about them because they believe people and technology will solve climate change. They have very strong opinions, social equity, water problems. I mean, just think about this, this generation. So when I thought about this generation, I thought, well, if they're a generation that looks in front of their computers all the time, I don't think they should be called Generation Z. I think they should be called screeners. That's all they do is look in front of a monitor. So you remember a generation that, when I was growing up, they called them latchkey. Why? Because their parents went to work. And what was that generation as a latchkey generation? Because they came home and they carried a key and they had to unlock the door and get in because they were that latchkey, you know, that they had the key, their parents weren't home. They unlocked the door and let themselves in. So they, and it's, it's an interesting kind of thing. It's because they had that, that was that generation that their parents weren't home at work after school, they let themselves into the house so it, it's kind of each generation had like a little moniker about them. To me, the screener generation, it's all about that they're about collaboration online a little bit. They haven't had this opportunity 
And in, in, in comparison, let me give you comparison to the millennials. They might be called activists and on the opposite side, they demand change. So even though these are millennials are the next generation in leadership, the gen, screener generation or Gen Z that they've been coined by other experts in the world, I, I think that it's an interesting dynamic if you look at what we have in these different generations. So when I was writing the book and I wanted to look at all of these different generations, I felt like they needed their own kind of moniker, so to speak. And that's why I thought screeners were so important because I think in history, we're going to look back and say, what did Gen Z mean? I don't think it meant anything, but screeners, you'll really understand why we call them screeners. Yeah, no, again, I, I like that because it is so true. And, and and I like the way you broke all that down because, uh, you know, my experiences, and I've shared this on the podcast before, I, I'm a little bit of a an amalgamation, if you will. I was raised <laughs> by my grandfather, who was uh, uh, who was a greatest generation. Um, I grew up, I was born at the tail end of Gen X and the the beginning of millennials. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of the best of both worlds there, if you will. And, and I've seen that shift that you're talking about, right? You know, I grew up and all of my friends lived within just a mile or two. You could literally holler and say, hey, do you want to go out and play? Uh, but then, you know, as I, I left my small town in Northeast Tennessee and I joined the Marines and I traveled, I used technology a lot more to stay in touch with people because now, you know, I'm in Japan and, and my best friend is, uh, you know, in South Carolina. How else do you stay in touch? And, uh, you know, I, I like what you said there about the screeners and, and, you know, we, we see them as these disconnected, uh, kind of, all the stereotypes. I'm not even going to go through them all because everybody knows what they are. But like you mentioned, in a lot of ways, they are way more connected. They're way more engaged. They just do it in a completely different way right now. And if I might add, think about this. Communicating and getting everyone on the same page is is not necessarily easy because just as you described, everybody's different. And mm-hmm. that's that's what – in in. It's an interesting that amalgamation that you described is 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 rare because there's some overlapping when you think about music and generational things come into play in music. And I talked about in the book a little bit about music. We see some overlapping in music and generations. But when it comes to other things, there's there's really a digital divide when it comes to other things. And, and that's unfortunate because connectivity and instant access to data, it really widens where we are in the world. And that's unfortunate, but it's, it's, there's some things that connect us and some things that make us so far apart. And that's by generation. And it really is. And and by location, you know, where we are in rural areas and, 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 and in our cities, you know, I think there's, there's a big gap. And I think that's what I think the, we have to look at, where we have to kind of find that giant connection and we kind of it's unfortunate sometimes that we don't recognize uh what's happened to society and and our our generations show that giant gap oh yeah no and again something you just said there uh you know about the the connectivity piece and and i think this is one of the things that's very interesting to see spring up right now 
there are a lot of, and I don't know if you've seen any of these, but there are a lot of social media channels that have uh, sprung up. Uh, I should say YouTube channels of social media content creators that have sprung up to, to do just that. There's, uh, there's a famous uh, a couple of brothers out of uh, Gary, Indiana, who have a channel that it, it's, they, they, they have people send them music, right? And, and listen to it the first time. And it's their, their reaction, like to listening, uh, to Dolly Parton for the first time, <laughs> listening to Kenny Rogers, listening to The Who, you know, and, and people are loving watching them kind of connect to that. And then, uh, there's another one, uh, uh, it's a Southern thing where they're kind of bringing people into Southern culture and, you know, teaching them the subtle nuances of, of what the different, uh, tone and uh in inflections when somebody says bless your heart what those mean right uh so i think i think the point is like going with what you were saying is we're, we're seeing that right we're seeing the 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 digital divide kind of being intentionally broken down to share these cultures across the world and i think that's pretty cool and that intentional part of that i think that's great to do because i think we don't realize how much we can eradicate all these barriers if we just take the time to listen, to understand, to see, to learn from our past, to learn from our present, and to open our eyes to what can happen, to what the opportunities are. And I think that's where there's so much out there that I think from generations, and I think also from the educational opportunities that we see from what's happening in climate to see that the metamorphosis that we have to make to protect our environment to protect the circularity that's that's changing our world right now and i think we have to do that and i think that's the uh the creative minds that we have right now the innovation and that's what gets me excited because i think we have such an amazing wealth of knowledge and innovation i every time i talk I get excited by this because the generation of, of that we have that the millennials and the younger generation that have, have knowledge to create and transform our society is, is, is overwhelmingly exciting. Yeah. Well, and, and to tie this all together, and I think this is kind of where you go in your book as well, you know, to tie it all together, how do you get somebody in, in Wyoming to worry about plastic straws in the ocean? Social media, you raise that awareness through social media, they get connected with these folks or, or other online digital content like podcasts. And, you know, eventually it makes its way to mainstream media and more people. But that that's the power of this, right? Somebody that has something that is extremely local to them, they have the ability to share that idea out and get people who may never see an ocean in their life, but they're marching around and they're, they're, they're doing fundraising to help eradicate plastics in the ocean now, right? You know, it's amazing you said that because I think somebody who's never seen an ocean, who lives in the Midwest and sees, you know, flatlands, right? Or somebody who lives in the ocean who's never seen a mountain, you know? I mean, it's an amazing beauty to understand that we're destroying are the beautiful land that we have. And to take it for a second to say all those plastic bottles that we drink water out of, and then we think, oh, I don't care. And it ends up in the ocean because we need this, this desire to drink out of plastic bottles is, is amazing to me to discover that, or that plastic straw that you said, 
Or every time we go to the grocery store, we fill up a plastic bag and instead of bringing a plastic bag, every time we don't take the time to, to consider how we are destroying our society. I mean, we, let me give it to you another way. Let me describe it. We've amassed all this stuff. And, and I think I alluded to it earlier, that piles up in a landfill and, and one right after another. And the direction of the flow, like just like carbon in the atmosphere is the best way to put it. And all this plastic that we're talking about in the ocean has been drawing just nothing but concern because it's really, it's just linear. I mean, that's what we're doing. It's just filling up. We're destroying all the fish and we are nothing but this. And I described it in the book as this take, make, waste model. And it's been su- successful for just decades. And, and and we always say it's a linear model. It's a linear economy. And the value, it, it's created economic wealth for businesses. And it's produced a lot of money, produced a lot of products for businesses, but without any regard to our planet, to mother nature, to the ecosystem, to all the bugs and all the the, the creatures on, on, on around us. And we don't realize some of these little bugs we might not like, or some of these things we think are pretty are dying. And we say, well, we don't really need them. But one feeds off another and it gives life to something else, a plant that's disappearing. And I think when we think about all the prospering things that are no longer here, I mean, we have to take a step back and say, as humans, we have be comfortable with all these things, but really, do we need all these things? I mean, that's the, the thing that I say is, you know, we have to become more circular, more sustainable. And if we do that, I know I'm probably going on, I'll stop. But I mean, I get all worked up about this because we always want the latest iPhone. But do we need the latest iPhone? Maybe. I don't know. But my thing is, uh, I'll give you an example. If I looked in your garage right now or in your tool shed, you have maybe a drill or, uh, I don't know, some tool you probably use once or twice a year. Rather than use it, could you have rented it or shared it to someone else instead of buying that tool that you never use only once or twice a year? I mean, that's how an Airbnb became so successful. That's how Uber and Lyft became. Instead of owning a car, you ride share. Are that are those models successful in every uh, so many other industries? Instead of owning all this junk, can we rent? Can we share in our communities? We could make our small little communities that have empty stores successful. Think about that for a minute. That could be amazing. We could rebuild communities that have gone out of business to be successful, you know, Ubers of their own for other types of equipment, other types of products. We don't even think about that. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And, and as, as you were talking there, I was, I was thinking more about this interconnectivity and, and solutions and, and all that. And I was, we were talking about plastic bags and, you know, I, I, I don't know why I really hadn't put two and two together until this conversation, but I remember Growing up in Northeast Tennessee, taking German in school uh, 30 years ago, and my German teacher talking about how in Germany they don't have plastic bags or paper bags. They have these canvas totes that you have to take to the the grocery store and, and all these things that they were doing and and how that practice took this long to get over here, uh, you know, is, is kind of amazing to me as we're having this conversation. 
but I don't know why that just popped in my head, but I'm sitting here thinking like, wow, you know, again, there's another thing that the Germans were way ahead of us in, in innovation wise, right? Do you uh, remember it? Can you say, can you say a bag in German for me? I mean, do you remember it? Oh, no. <laughs> I've, I've slept a few times since then. <laughs> I remember a few German words. They were mostly food related. You can tell where my mind's usually at, right? Mm, there you go. I'm, I'm with you on that. I would probably remember the food things too. Uh, yeah, no. Now it's going to drive me batty because I'm going to be thinking about that the rest of this uh, conversation, how to say bag in German. Uh, but but yeah, no, I mean, again, like tying this back in and and the the solutions piece, right? Because like you mentioned, Airbnb and all that, that's this, uh, you know, kind of the millennial generation, this, uh, you know, current generation, they're driving those solutions. They're they're pushing the, the sustainability. They're, they're, they're really the ones that are, are, are trying to work to crack the code uh, on how we can reverse these years of, of landfill usage. And, you know, I really hope my listeners here, because, you know, we, we talk a lot about leadership, and I really hope that you all are hearing kind of the leadership lessons here, because I think this is the big thing that, that I try to coach folks through when they talk about, you know, millennials or Gen Z or screeners, uh, as I'll try to call them from now on. I do like that term. <laughs> You know, they talk about how, you know, well, they're just lazy. They're just this. They, they they move too much. It's because they care about these things and too many organizations don't. They're really searching for companies that, that, that care about the same things, right? You know, I, I do not necessarily think, you know, that, you know, my, my screener generation or my millennials are, are lazy. I, I look at them as... You know, they have the greatest opportunity and I, I've raised three millennials. So mm-hmm. I'm going to look at it this way and say, if we turn to, and this is what I have a quote in my book and I say this and I have it memorized that I say, if we turn, this is our one opportunity to turn to these young innovators for help. They want to help, as you just said, we need to give them, you know, this wonderful shot to, to design and restore all of our ecosystems that we have out there because it's our forests, it's our soils, it's our clean water. Uh, if we think about our clean energy, our clean air, they have the experience, they have the passion. And you just described that. And we must trust them to secure our world. And I think if we give them the shot, you know, when I'm not talking about the vaccine right now, we give them the opportunity, they're going to take it. I mean, and I, and I always like to say life is a journey. And everybody who knows me hears me say this. And when you talk about entrepreneurial advice, you know, it's a journey that's taught me that there's a lot of risk in everything we do, perhaps more importantly, you know, and anything I've told people, and, and I said it in the book, but you've got to be willing to do it. And we've got to encourage them to do it. And I think if we encourage the younger generation and we're willing to be uh, there for them and we lead them, they're going to be the ones that are going to make the world better for the future generations. But we have to encourage them and say, take the risk, take, take the journey, because it's not going to be easy. But if you never take the journey, you're never going to know of the excitement that is, is, is ahead of them. Yeah, no, I agree, and and I like it because you know I've I've often referred to these, uh, especially millennials, as as the greatest generation 2.0 because you know I like to point out to folks again when they start talking about the lazy piece, we still have an all volunteer military, 
Everybody oh, yeah. serving in the military right now with the global war on terror going on has done so freely and voluntarily. And knowing that there's a high likelihood that in some way, shape, or form, they are going to serve time in a combat zone. And to dismiss that, I think, is a, is a grave disservice. But on the other side, what we're talking about here, these entrepreneurs, these problem solvers, these these innovators, you know, this is their form of, of protest, right? You know, the, the, like you said, the the tools that are available right now and the, the skill set to use them is extremely valuable. And, and once you get an organization that can realize that, I mean, it, it's like it's like unlocking it's like unlocking uh, the the magic code, right? Because we talk about sustainability here from a climate perspective, but think about your organization. That person that you give that opportunity to, as you just mentioned, Peggy, that may be the person that takes your organization in a whole new direction and keeps you around for the next hundred years because of an innovation they made because you gave them that opportunity. And that's just amazing. And Earl, I, you know, first of all, I want to thank you for for you being, you know, serving and being a part of this, because I, I, I totally agree with you. I totally agree. And I don't think we thank the military for everything they do. And, and I think that's a powerful statement that you say. But I think what you said is so right. I, I think everybody has to remember there is a power you are given and there is a power you take. And I think as as a young individual, they have to remember that, you know, sometimes we feel that we we're not good enough or we don't have it in us, but we always do. It's in ourselves. And that's why we have to remember that. And I believe, you know, I always tell my team that nothing happens without a dream and you just have to dream it. If, if the purpose you have to aspire always for something better, whether you you have that passion to reach for the stars, even when the, the possible seems impossible. And I think, you know, set, set that, the belief, you know, I always tell people here that I believe in everything. It's faith, family, business, you know, go for that. And that's how we're going to restore, you know, our, 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 our ecosystem, because we all have a belief we can do it. If we don't strive for the same thing, it's never going to happen, but we have to believe we're going to do it. And I, and I think that's what you just said. Mm. No, I, I like that. I like that a lot. And, 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 uh, yeah, no, thank you. It was my pleasure to serve. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, I would say this, you know, we, we've talked about a couple of chapters here. And like I said, listeners, you need to go grab a copy of, uh, Sustainable in a Circular World by Peggy Smedley. This is a lot of great, uh, content in here. And we're just scratching the surface. Uh, but I think I'd be remiss, uh, if I didn't ask you, to speak about the future, like when, what do you see the future of sustainability in a circular world looking like? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I think everyone has to work toward to the next thing that they believe in, in trying to contribute. If we don't all try to contribute in some way, and that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the next venture to contribute uh, to helping us not only from a business standpoint, which is what the book is, but also from a personal standpoint, from our residential world, to show people how to live it 
And I'm going to show people how do we live in an everyday world, delivering, uh, uh, being more sustainable. So that's my next venture and trying to say, I can talk about it, but how do we actually live it day in and day out? So that's where I'm going to, to work on it and show everybody uh, so that they can see what this world's all about and to be flexible and uh, sometimes you have to be willing to change on a dime. And so uh, that's what I'm going to show everybody. Just how do you live in a sustainable world? So it'll be exciting for everyone to see how I'm going to show them how to do that. Well, I can't I can't wait to see. I'll be watching uh, closely and see what comes out. But uh, I'll tell you right now, mine, my, my vision for the future, uh, and it's it's pretty much a reality right now. It's just, you know, like everything else, getting the technology scaled. I'm one of those people that sees uh, in the near future print, uh, yeah, 3D printed homes really taking off and being a game changer. We talk about waste materials, uh, reducing a lot of these waste, reducing deforestation, reducing those things, uh, reducing the load uh, needed on on trees. Because you know that that's kind of my my big stance. There is is how do we reach that climate goal? Uh, well. You, you you can't it's a lot harder to reach that goal when you're uh, cutting down the the very filter that filters those things out on a cyclic rate so uh that that's my prediction for the future is that uh in the near future 3d printed homes are going to be the norm uh instead of a novelty i don't know how you feel about that but that's my my prediction I, I think, you know, you can look at 3D homes, but I think we have to look at new materials. I think we have to look at how we do things that way, because I think that's going to be a way of looking at them. And I think we have to look at how homes will be more sustainable. It's not just in the way we do it, but how we make things more sustainable. And to think about that, because it's it's something we have to think about the way we build. We should talk about 3D, but the digital twin and how we look at the data is through the new materials. So I think it's going to be a whole host of things coming together. Uh, and I think that's going to make it really exciting. And we're going to see a whole host of partners coming together with new technology uh, to make it, uh, I think, societally uh, unique and in the construction, uh, in the agriculture and I think that's what's going to make us uh, see things better in the ecosystem. Yep, I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, Peggy, we've been chatting here for for nearly forty five minutes at this point. Man, the the time has just flown by. I don't know how it's went for you, but this has just been. Uh, I felt like we just started talking. Uh, I, I've loved it. Thank you very much, Earl. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, Noah, thank you for your time. And and before we wrap up. You know, we did bounce around a little bit. I think we cover a lot of important topics, but is there anything that you really want to leave listeners with before we uh, before we wrap up here? You know what? I think the biggest thing I would tell everybody is try to do your best to be a good climate citizen. I, you know, I'm not one that to get on the, the sustainability campaign to say you have to be. But if you don't have to, you know, throw that plastic bottle, you know, uh, you know, purchase that plastic bottle, I should say, or you don't have to, you could be more sustainable. Try to do that. Think about Mother Earth because it's not just for today, it's for tomorrow. But I think even every day, keep learning about it. Learn about it. Every day is a journey. And the more we learn, the better we can be as climate citizens. And I think that's the whole process. Mm, that is uh, outstanding 
outstanding advice there, folks. Make sure that you uh, take that to heart because, yeah, so small decisions, so small daily decisions can lead to, to really big change. So, uh, well, again, listeners, we've been chatting with Peggy Smedley, author of Sustainable in a Circular World, Design and Restore Natural Ecosystems Through Innovation. Uh, hopefully folks, uh, have been intrigued enough to go grab a copy of the book and, uh, find out a little bit about, uh, more about you and, uh, your radio show. So how can they do that? How can they find out more about Peggy and everything that you're doing? You can uh, certainly find out more about the book at amazon.com. You can check out our website at sustainablecircularworld.com or connectedworld.com, or you can actually find me on LinkedIn at www.linkedin.com slash in Peggy Smedley or, you know, check out the Peggy Smedley show, you know, .com because I'm there. I do my show every week. Love to talk to people, always eager to chat with them, hear their views. So, uh, and I'm always on Instagram. I'm, I'm anywhere. I'm all over. Just look for Peggy Smedley. You'll find me. I love it. I love it. Well, again, thank you very much for, for your time and spending it with uh, me and my listeners. Uh, it, it's been uh, a great conversation and uh, just really appreciate you having it with me. Earl, thank you. It was a great conversation and uh, I really enjoyed talking about the book, but more importantly, just talking about helping uh, the next generation uh, be better uh, global citizens. I love it. I love it. Listeners, Thank you for spending time with uh, Peggy and me this, uh, well, whatever time of day you're listening to the show. Uh, really value you all as, as an audience, and I know you got a lot of great value out of this, so make sure you know you check out those links and, and check out Peggy's show. I'll have those in the show notes so you can uh, get there easy. And remember, if you want to reach out to me, it's just burden.command at gmail.com. That's burden.command at gmail.com. Keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show with your friends, family, and uh, even strangers. I really appreciate that. It helps the show grow, and uh, it helps my great guests like Peggy spread their thoughts and uh, their work uh, further than than you'll ever know. You know, you, you've helped this show grow international. We're in almost sixty countries now, uh, and I give you all the thanks for for helping that be that success. So thank you all. I really appreciate you spending your time with us, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's just No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with Electricast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of Electricast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join Electricast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to Electricast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electric acid. Electric acid.